2: Pace with Alex and Fauci. Alex and Fauci. Alex and Alex. And... If I put our jacks in the paint, how you gonna stop me? How you gonna stop me? How we can go going? head to head. Call out your top three. Call out your top three. Look at the switch from
1: Dorte. Now that boy got three. We got Holly Burton running point. This is the
2: Benedict for the shot. If anybody gonna come in the post, then we got Jalen Smith for the block, Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast. Sweeping every team, We gonna need a
1: Nation, what is going on it is your boy mike Fachi here bringing you another episode of setting the pace no alex golden so today i'm gonna fill in for him and i have an awesome guest for you we have eric pincus on zoom aka in the building uh he is a salary cap strategist a capologist he's a writer at bleach report so he's got a lot going on and we're gonna break down maybe where do the pacers go from here i mean they're they're not even at the minimum 90% of you know, the league's salary cap. They're, they're not even there yet. It just shows they still have a lot of money to spend. But also, how could they create even more money moving forward? There's a couple different ways that the Pacers can get to upwards of $70 million in cap space. Yes, it is a possibility. But what will we do with the money? That I don't know if I can answer. Brought on Eric to try and see if we can get some answers. And then we're also going to dive into a few other things, like, for instance, when can the Pacers start negotiating a contract extension with Tyrese Halliburton and how much that can be. So before I spoil the rest of this episode, let me get out of here and let me bring Eric on, and we will be right back.
0: Just go to indeed.com/slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
2: All
1: right, everybody. We are back and we are joined by Eric Pinkus. He is a salary cap strategist, a capologist, a writer of uh you know sports business classes, and you can find him
2: on Bleacher Report. Eric, what's going on today? I'm not much getting ready for the season where uh I guess we're only a few weeks away from training camp, so I'm I'm excited. We're
1: getting there, but it really can't get here soon enough because it's been so quiet out here lately. I mean, you could feel football starting up as we're recording this. It's Thursday, so the NFL season is kicking off. But us diehard basketball fans, I mean, we are just itching for this season to start. And I thought we would do something differently you know, today, bring you on to talk about everything that we need to know as it relates to the salary cap for the Indiana Pacers moving forward, because Eric, the Pacers are in a very unique situation where they got a lot of money that they could spend, but I don't know who they're really going to spend it on. Mm -hmm. So uh, I thought that's where we'd start today. And one of the things I wanted to basically paint the picture for is, you know, when the NBA announced the salary cap was expanding, you know, it would be $123.6 million. Uh, for, for the most part, I mean, hey, you know, there's a couple a couple extra cents in there. But, you know, the tax level would be about just over $150 million. I believe I have that correct. Yet, the Indiana Pacers, I mean, I I don't think they're going to hit the league minimum. I mean, it's something we don't see too much. But, you know, what are your thoughts on uh, do you expect the Pacers to at least hit the minimum or just kind of go into the season as it is right now?
2: Well, they have flexibility. That's not a bad thing. Uh having flexibility in and of itself without using it is nothing, right? Like it's great. they mm-hmm. are flexible, but we didn't do anything. Um, but they are flexible. So it's a strength right now where you're, you know, like we said three weeks ish away from training camp. Uh, it, we're about, you know, whatever the season's coming up soon. Then you get all the way to the trade deadline in February. That's really the window that the Pacers have. So there's from a flexibility standpoint in, in general, in a general sense, their clock runs all the way through February as far as using it. But it actually can extend past that uh, all the way after the season, after the trade deadline, uh, around the draft. So sometimes a team will save their cap room. Uh, for instance, the Thunder last year were were kind of in a similar place as the Pacers, and they made some deals here and there, but ultimately they went into uh, the offseason with cap room, and they were shopping to make a bigger deal. I don't think they they ultimately got done what they – ultimately wanted to do, but I think they got some of it done. One of it was just taking Michael Green and getting draft considerations uh, from the Nuggets. So the paces are in a place where they have the cap room to make trades or sign someone. And, of course, signing someone may or may not make a lot of sense for this team at, at, at this point. Uh, but they're in a position where if if there was an opportunity to sign someone, they could. Uh, but really, I think their flexibility is in, in making a trade.
1: I think so. And I want to say that, you know, without knowing for sure, that the Pacers were really waiting and hoping to be the third or fourth team in a big deal. If it was maybe a Kevin Durant deal or a deal for Donovan Mitchell, just another team that could take on salary and hopefully accumulate another draft pick as an asset. But we also got to rewind. The Pacers cleared out over it was just over $31 million for DeAndre Ayton, offered the largest offer sheet in NBA history. Uh, We all obviously know that Phoenix ends up matching it. So the Pacers now, they're probably not even going to meet that 90% minimum of the salary cap, which is set at $111.2 million. Right now, the Pacers are floating around. uh, It's $93.5 million. So at this point, I started to wonder, you know, what's the repercussion of of not hitting the minimum? And Eric, tell me if I'm wrong, but from my understanding, is it just – if they don't end up hitting the minimum, they spread that money out across a certain amount of players. Is, is that how it works?
2: Um, I mean, kind of Uh what a team does and the example that we can use uh would be the Thunder who just were under the floor is what you call it. The floor, you have to spend 90% of the salary cap is, is what the, the requirement is. And if you don't, then at the end of the season, so we're talking about not, not even the, the regular season, we're talking about June 30th, uh, that's the final day of the season. The league releases uh, basically the the new cap for the next year, and then they tally up and announce like who was over the tax and how much they have to pay, how much everyone gets back, all the little nuances of, of the salary cap year. And one of those things is breaking down exactly uh, who and how much... Uh, a team like the Thunder, as we were using an example, how much were they under the floor? Uh, the floor, so the cap you said uh, was one twenty three. Well, let's call it one twenty three seven, mm-hmm. round up. Ninety uh, percent of that is one hundred and eleven point three. So yeah, they're they're under the floor right now. So what the league would do is they would look at what they spent uh, against the cap, and so let let's say it's just under 90, 96, ninety six. Let's call it. And again, they can certainly make trades and make other moves. Uh, But they're about 15, 15 and a half million under. So at the end of the year, around June, they would get a bill from the league saying you need to spend, you need to pay the players union $15.4 million. And so they would have a certain time period. I'd I'd have to look at what the, maybe it's a month or something like that, Uh, like 30 days or or, whatever the rule is. Uh, They would, Cut a check, and then the players' union—it's technically outside of the NBA's hands at that point. There's no uh, formal agreement between the league and the union on how that money gets uh, allocated. But the union's precedent, and you know, they pretty much stick to it. They're unlikely to change it. Uh, will be to give it to players who are on the roster for however many days. So maybe they'll, maybe it be twenty days, forty days, eighty days, or or, or sorry, games, not days. So twenty like, for instance, a 10-day contract might not get anything or whatever, but someone who's been on the, league the, the, the team the whole season will get a share of that. And, and uh, no, that doesn't apply to the Pacers, but if you're already making the max, you won't get any. You can't get paid more than the max. So it wouldn't go to a max player, but the Pacers don't have any max players. uh. So that that's one possibility. <clears throat> so I'll throw out that there is one thing I haven't really touched on uh, and haven't really thought about, but technically – they could use that cap room to restructure a player's contract up so you can't restructure in the nba a contract down but if you have cap room you can give that player an immediate raise and an extension and looking at it i think they have two players who are eligible i have to double check uh buddy Hield and miles turner i think are the only players who are technically eligible for that so technically in theory you know again uh not talking practically as far as what you value as a you know who who they would want to spend on if they wanted to use that cap room on Buddy Heald or Miles Turner they could give them raises uh up to the cap and give them an extension and I don't think necessarily Buddy Heald makes sense he's already making probably more than his market value Mm -hmm. uh but if you value Miles Turner you could argue that's that's a, a at least a possibility to consider
1: I mean, Turner has been through quite a few trade rumors over the years. So, you know, maybe a little bit extra cash could help smooth that relationship over a bit. But, you know, I I wonder with all that money to spend and no one to really spend it on, you wonder why wouldn't the Pacers look to maybe get ahead and and sign some of their players to early extensions. But it doesn't seem to be the case here. You know, what would you recommend when you have that extra money to spend? Would you want to get ahead on it or would you really want to maximize your flexibility just like we talked about earlier on? Because, you know, say the Pacers are to move off of Buddy Heald's $21 million, you know, remaining uh, after this year and Turner hits free agency. Eric, there's a situation where they could create about $70 million in cap space. So if you're the Pacers and you struggle to draw free agents, would you rather have the most money available or would you rather maybe reward some of your own knowing that you can keep them?
2: Right. Well, there's there's a lot lot to the, to it. Um, for instance, the 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 Spurs have have had a ton of cap room this year, and they even had a ton of cap room last year. And uh, this was a year in which there were very few teams with cap room, and they still didn't really sign anybody of note. Now that that may be related to where they are in their journey. Like their you know teams are in a cycle of building and then maybe rebuilding and i would argue that the paces are are at the earlier part of the rebuild where uh maybe Halliburton is that cornerstone piece who knows um but at least you can consider him a possibility and and you start to try to build a team around him and then see where that goes but there there's not like um there's no one there's no Luca yet on this team there's no um you know, there's no LeBron, there's no uh, Giannis. You, you, there's to me, the Pacers are still kind of searching for that top star. And, and again, it could be Halliburton, absolutely, but uh, he needs to show that that's who he is, and and that takes time. Similar to the Spurs, uh, again, there's no top star there, so maybe the the Pacers are kind of closer to the Spurs, uh, where they may have cap room, but they may not have. Uh, someone to spend it on. And and when you go to the um free agent market this next year, having a ton of cap room, in theory, you might be able to get one or two stars. But there aren't really I don't know if there's a great list of stars that make a ton of sense. I mean, chasing after like a middleton out of Milwaukee, is that gonna change the pacers? You know, based on where Chris Middleton is in age, I mean he's already over 30. So to me, that doesn't make any sense. You know what I mean? As far as where if you're saying the Pacers need to to, to find star power that is in the you know, mid to early 20s, 25 to 27, 28 at, at the latest to fit in with the young guys that are developing. Unless you're trading away a bunch of young kids and develop, and, and and going with a veteran team, uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And I don't, I don't see why the Pacers would suddenly go for a bunch of veterans when they're at this place where – They've got all these young players and they've got some picks coming up, uh, multiple picks in this next draft, depending on protections. Uh, So I I just think that the Pacers are closer to where maybe the Thunder have been in the last few years, which is using that cap space uh, opportunistically to add picks, uh, to take on unwanted contracts that are either one or even two years that, uh, that aren't. They're, bas- they're, they're money moves. They're not moves made for for basketball in the sense of you're bringing in a player, not because you want that player, but because you're getting a, a first round pick with that player or you're getting uh, some young players on rookie scale contracts uh, that were recently first rounders that you think could fit with uh, your future. So I think that's kind of where I see the pacers like, yeah, you could use your cap room to give turner a raise and and lock him in long term and he's still really young I mean he's like 25 or 26 or something mm-hmm. like that 26. Yeah. um yeah so it, it's not a it's not a it's not a terrible idea but it, it's kind of to wrap up a long answer to your question uh last year the Bulls were in sort of a similar situation uh but different certainly uh but they had cap room and they had uh Zach Levine in a similar situation where you could take in a, a renegotiation with that cap room, they could have paid him near the max or the max, but near the max and still do a couple of moves. But they wouldn't have been able to to go get like DeMar DeRozan, Alonzo Ball, Alex Cruz. So all the moves that they made that took a team that had been really struggling and made them a playoff team, uh, that wouldn't have happened. So they gave Zach more of a reason to want to extend because they use those resources to improve the team. Whereas if you're just paying Miles Turner to, to, I guess, to lock him in long term, you're still the same team. Is the team getting better? Last year they they weren't a playoff team. Uh, they were you know a low team and certainly getting uh, you know, Matherin and the pieces that they did add, but not they didn't really do a lot this off season yet. Um, you can argue making this team better by being opportunistic in trade makes a lot more sense than, than just committing to a team right now where it's more of a question mark than anything else. Like there's outside of the potential of some of these young guys and Halliburton, who certainly stands out. There's no one to say like, we can build this team right now this way. And we are going to end up a top four playoff team in the East Uh, based on who you have now on the, on the Pacers. I, it's not realistic. So to me, I think it's, be flexible look for an opportunity to add one two picks young players how can you improve this team slowly patiently and if that means you're not a playoff contender this year so be it i don't think you should try to force something like that uh you got to really identify who you are and there's nothing in my mind there's nothing wrong with being a developing team because if you develop properly you have a much higher upside than trying to force a uh, play-in, you know, opportunity that maybe you get to the first round of the playoffs if everything breaks right, and then get beaten in four or five games in the first round. It, it's it, maybe you get a little bit extra, a couple of home games for the playoffs uh, as far as extra, you know, income. I I don't view that as uh, appealing when it comes to to where at least where the Pacers are right now.
1: Yeah, no doubt at all. The the youth movement is in full effect. You know, one thing I was trying not to laugh at, he said, the Pacers haven't done much yet this offseason. And hey, we're still waiting. I mean, this was promised to be a big offseason for the Pacers with the amount of money we carved out and even being able to trade Brogdon to bring in another first-round pick and clear some additional salary. And it, in reality, nothing really happened. You brought back Jalen Smith. You know, you had three rookies come in. You had Aaron Neesmith and, and Daniel Tice for whatever that's worth. So overall, not the offseason that the Pacers wanted, but I do think maintaining flexibility moving forward is, is going to give them just uh, you know, room to grow long term. The contracts are fantastic on the books, but one thing I had a question for you, which I wanted to pick your mind on, I think we're starting to see a far less emphasis on draft picks than years past. I mean, there are now, we saw last year, I want to say there might have been eight teams that didn't have a first round pick because a lot of teams are trading picks in bulk to get established starts. We just saw that with the Donovan Mitchell trade. We've seen it with what the Thunder are doing. We've seen it kind of now with what the Pacers are doing. Do you think teams are now valuing draft picks a little bit less than in years past? Or, I mean, is the cap space a little overrated because we're starting to see a shift between team signing maybe three stars to really big contracts and then having a few other guys that need to fit into to the rest of the cap. So it, it's been interesting. Curious to see your thoughts on the shift that we're seeing in the NBA.
2: Well, I mean, it's really rare for a team to sign three stars. We've had some instances with two. Uh, but it, it's really, you know, the cap space thing for, most, for the most part doesn't always work out because uh, players tend to extend uh, or stay where they are more than they leave. And uh, you have what happened in what was it, in Golden State. And even that was technically a trade uh, for, or, or rather in uh, in Brooklyn, you, can, you had a trade from Golden State of, of Durant to the Warriors pairing up with uh, Kyrie Irving. So like, that's an example, but like getting Anthony Davis to the Lakers was a trade. And you start going down the list, uh, the Bucks got Drew via trade. And... Uh, I mean, Wiggins to the Warriors was a trade and just go down the list of uh, Miami got Kyle Lowry via trade, uh, sign a trade technically. So you could argue it's kind of free agency, Uh, but by and large trades are are really the way to do it. So you, you try to build a team, you build it with either players through the draft, through free agent signings. or through trade, uh, and there's some level of player development. You might find someone uh, like Alex Caruso, who was a, a, a G League player, then a two-way player, you know, two-way player, and then cheap player, and now he's making closer to ten million a year, uh, and is a solid player. But again, not um, he's not the best player in the team. So most teams don't really. I guess the best way to put it is that cap space is not. The only way, when it comes to free agent signing, it's become uh, really a tool of trade. And what I guess the the opposite of what you're saying, you're saying um, are our draft picks not valued as much. But if you ask the the Jazz, they're absolutely valuing draft picks. That's why they went and got a zillion draft picks for their two stars. So for teams that are trying to rebuild, draft picks are really everything. Um, but for teams that are trying to win, draft picks are a means to get to those star players, because let's be honest, like if you draft in the lottery, you have the worst record in the league. You still only have a twenty five percent chance at the top overall pick. There's no guarantee that that top overall pick is number one worthy of a top number you know first overall pick. Some drafts there's just no one who's worth that uh you know, in comparison to other drafts, two that they will stay healthy. I mean, we already have Chet Holmgren, who's a really nice prospect, but he's out for the year. Uh, and then three, that they actually, uh, you know, that they fit, that they develop, and that by the time they come of age, the team is where they need to be. Um, like Luca being so good, put a lot of pressure on the Mavericks to sort of change course and, and speed up their timeline. And in doing so, they traded two firsts to get Kristaps Porzingis, who was probably the wrong guy to get, uh, and then they're out to first. And then that hampers what else they can do, their flexibility. So it, it's a it's a del- delicate sort of thing. The Knicks just passed on on Mitchell because the price was too high in picks, but then the Knicks have all these picks that they probably can't use that. I mean, how valuable I- unless you're really getting a top-top pick, which means you're pretty awful. Uh, what what are you going to get out of the number 10 pick? And you, you could look historically and say, well, you have a Donovan Mitchell. Giannis was late. Uh, Kawhi was late. There are a lot of guys who come in, you know, certainly Jokic and and Gobert and Draymond Green. They're guys who are either late first or second round picks who have become Defensive Player of the Year's champions, etc. Uh All that's feasible and possible, but statistically, it's it's a crapshoot. So, you know, if the Knicks have four picks in this next draft, then they won't get all of them because of protection. Like think is this a team that's trying to win? Not, whether they're going to succeed or not is a different question. Uh, how do you get four players, rookies, that you can actually bring in, not to mention second-rounders, that you can then develop and, and give them the kind of attention and time on the court that they need? So it's a delicate balance. When you go back to the Pacers to kind of tie it all together, like all of these young guys that they have, which is you know, relatively impressive, Impressive. You've got, you know, Mathern. You've got Goga. You got Jalen Smith, Halliburton, Duarte. Even Neesmith Smith is relatively young still. Jackson, Nemhard. They're trying to work in, I guess, Brissett. Uh, I'm sure I've left out a couple of guys, but there's a nice little group of of young players to develop around. And then the Pacers have a Cleveland first, a Boston first, and their own first in this next draft. So, uh, assuming that Cleveland and Boston make the playoffs as expected you're talking about bringing in three firsts. You need to make room on the court for those three firsts uh, to develop those players. So, and then also give attention to all the young players who exist. Then you've got this cap room. It's it's, how do you make sure all that works? So, you know, for, for the Pacers point of view, if you can, I don't think they're at a place where they're selling picks to bring in a star, but I do think they're at a place where they're gonna develop players and then maybe eventually either those players develop into something special together or they do become trade assets. And maybe the Pacers, who aren't historically known for being a free agent destination, can trade some of their own future first for some of the, and some of these players for maybe a star player when Halliburton's ready to deliver. And they've got maybe one other piece that's just booming. And now maybe there's one more guy you can trade for. So there's no set way to do this. And the Pacers can't know their future because it's it's an unknown. Uh, but they can certainly take a position. And to me, the position is I don't see why you want to in, stay invested in Buddy. I don't like the idea of reinvesting in Miles Turner, to be honest, uh, just based on where they're at. Certainly not a terrible move because he is young. Uh, but I think it it's there's so many young players of size, like give that those minutes to, to them, focus on you know, maybe not being good this year. It's a great draft, potentially, on paper anyway. If you're lousy and get a great draft pick and you end up with two other picks and you have all your own picks in, a whole, in the future, you all your own firsts, you're in a really strong position for the future. So I, I think that's kind of my overarching take of where the Pacers are. I don't know if I probably said, if anything, too much at it, but I, I hope I kind of answered the question. <laughs> and now you did. I didn't want to cut you off. But,
1: yeah, I mean – Look, a team like the Pacers should very much value draft picks. Essentially, what I was getting at before is we're seeing contenders trade draft picks so far down the line that it's almost just like we saw what the Lakers did. I mean, I remember years ago when when the Nets and Celtics did that move and it bit Brooklyn so bad when they traded for Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, and Jason Terry and those guys. But now we're seeing you know Atlanta do it for with for Dejounte Murray and it just seems like picks on picks on picks. But there's other teams that value those picks. But you made a great point because how can you get all these guys on the court and have and have you know financial freedom to go out there and be able to get established, guys? It's a hard line of tiptoe. But I do love the fact that the Pacers are keeping their options open. Now, when you mentioned Buddy and Miles, two players that if they are to get them off the books, not not resign them, trade Buddy whatever you want to do right over there, they could clear, like I mentioned, $70 million in cash space, which is a lot of money. I know we struggle to draw free agents, but if we can offer max contracts, it's always going to be appealing to someone. But Turner entering his final season, he's making $18 million, does not appear that there's serious extension talks. If the Pacers were to work out a deal with Turner, I mean, what do you see his market as? Obviously, he's looking for a raise, somewhere upwards of $20 million. But given his injury history, he, he has not played uh, over 50 games in either of the last two seasons. I mean, what do you think that Turner's market could be as a free agent next year? Well,
2: um, that's a good question. I still haven't fully processed next year's market yet. Um still sort of waiting for the the – the extensions, the rookie scale extensions to come through for a few more moves to be made, but we, and we also have one other variable is that we may have a new salary cap. Mm -hmm. Uh, The league and union are negotiating already. And and December 15th is the date where they can opt in or out. Well, rather opt out there. If they don't opt out, then it continues on through 23, 24, but there's a reasonable chance we have a new CBA. So I just want to asterisk everything we've said as possibly changing slightly. If there's a new, new, new collective bargaining agreement, but as of right now, uh, they can extend Turner two different ways. One is just a normal extension, pay him twenty one six, uh, starting next year, uh, add four more years up to four more years, uh, with raises, et cetera, eight percent raise. Or they can restructure him now, give him a raise right now, and then extend him off of that, and, and it would be more. So, uh, I, I, in my opinion, if if they were offering more money right now, I think Miles Turner would take it because you know, duh, it's, it more money and if and if it's a if it's a worthy enough deal that he feels it's better than what he'll get in free agency then you do that but uh, as you mentioned it doesn't sound like that's where they're going and there's no question they have shopped him uh really i think three years consistently on some level uh from what i've heard from other teams uh it doesn't sound like the pacers are discussing miles right now and it sounds like they intend to start the season with him. at least that's what People with other teams are hearing, or at least if they're communicating with the Pacers, that's the message they're getting. So it, it doesn't sound like there's an active push right now to move Turner. But um, if there was, I think the market, it's its a little tricky because when a player is going into the last year of their contract, uh, teams are less likely to give up a ton because you do not you're not going to give up a ton if the guy's going to leave potentially after the season. Uh, so it may be about getting uh, an extension baked in. It's called an extended trade, uh, which again, can it, it's, it, you know, the challenge there is that it's actually very limiting in, in what uh, miles can get. So for instance, if he was traded and extended at the same time, the most he can get would be uh, a 5% raise. So it would start at about 18.9%. Uh, I mean I'd have to look at his incentives but we call it 19 million roughly so that may not appeal to him but if he waits six months uh so let's say he was traded uh today right so six months from now is about March uh he could extend in march at that full 21.6 so it would be more about um you know the team that's acquiring him negotiating with his his representatives and essentially coming up with an extension that is agreed to that they will execute in March, and then it's just up up to Miles to deliver and stay healthy and to be make sure nothing weird happens. Uh, but assuming everything works out, then he could get that extension after six months. So uh, it, it's just some teams may not want that kind of variability. Like I don't want to. If some teams may be like I don't want to give him an extension a, or agree to extension, then we got to wait six months for that extension. I don't want to even. Go there, like, fine, we'll have to wait in six months. We can negotiate it, but anything can happen in six months. I don't want to commit to something that, you know, what if he gets hurt? Uh, so, and then Turner may not want to, like, he may not give like that kind of commitment either. So, the main point is you end up in this weird space where a team is maybe not comfortable giving up that much to get him because he may leave and it's not worth him extending on his end. So, you just end up in this sort of limbo that is uncomfortable and so we have a very similar situation in portland with jeremy Grant, uh where he's going into the last year of his deal uh he's earning roughly 21 million dollars uh the blazers are in a position right now where they can extend him but they can't give him more than five percent for six months of, of when he was traded uh so again it's the same idea they have to wait they gave up a Minor protected. I think a very small. It may have been unprotected. I think at the time, Uh, but they gave up a. I have to double check that. But they gave up a a a Milwaukee Bucks. I want to say it's a
1: 2025 first round pick. I believe it was.
2: Yep. And so, you. I think if you project the Bucks right now for 2025, I think most teams will, because it's after the 24-25 season, they have Giannis under contract. Uh, He can opt out in 2025. But that if you were to leave, that's after that pick. Uh, They have Drew Holiday who can opt out in 2024. So like, you could argue maybe that pick, if Giannis isn't healthy and that team starts to break up, you can argue, yeah, maybe that 2025 pick ends up being something. But more likely than not, I think teams will look at it as like, Giannis is Giannis. He's one of the best players in the world. Uh, Even if some of the role players are shifted out, even if they lose Middleton or whatever – they'll be fine, and, and and at worst, they'll be a playoff team, like a low playoff team. But realistically, that pick's probably in the 20 to 30 range, maybe 20 to 22, 25, whatever. So it's not a great pick that the Pistons got, and they've already flipped it on in other trades. Uh, but to me, that's the market for uh, Miles Turner, except Jeremy Grant has been healthy, and relatively. He didn't miss a stretch of the season, I believe. So uh, I'd have to look at how many games he played. I'd, Grant did get hurt this year too, didn't he? He did uh, for a period. Yeah. Double check, but um, I I think the value is e- either equal or maybe slightly below Grant. You can argue that Turner is younger, so maybe it's higher. But you know, let's just say it's equivalent. So I I think the market for Turner is probably at best a so-so first round pick, you know, a pick in the twenty around twenty. Let's let's be generous a 20th pick in a few years. So what, you know, with upside that it could go higher. Um, so that's the market. So if you're looking at moving Turner, how many teams you go through the league, number one, have a first that they're willing to give up, that they actually can give up, and two, are willing to do it. That's not always an easy answer. So for instance, and I'm not saying Brooklyn wants to do this, but Brooklyn, they have, They can't move picks until around – they can move a Philadelphia pick in 2027, or they can move their own pick in 2029 or 2028, I think. So, you know, there are picks down the road. Um, You start going through the list of of possible teams. The team that jumps out, of course, is the Lakers. Um, I've heard that they are definitely interested in Turner. So I know that at least the desire is there. Uh, I don't know the desire elsewhere. We'd have to kind of go team by team. But I know that the Lakers' desire – Turner, and they have their 2027 first uh, and their 2029. Technically, the Lakers can do 2026 with a uh, language that m- may make it 2027 um, because they'll pick potentially in 2025. It's it's a whole in rule. We won't get into the details. But basically, Lakers can offer one to two. Uh, I don't believe that they'll offer two for Turner uh, for all the reasons that we talked about, for what the market value is. Uh, if they're also taking Buddy Heald off of the books for the Pacers, I think they view that as a money neutral thing. So for instance, if, if the Pacers are taking 47 million right now Mm -hmm. in Russ and they're getting out of, uh, again, Buddy's numbers and miles numbers are not exact because of incentives, but let's, let's say that they are, let's just combine them and make them $40 million and then another 20 for Buddy the next year, roughly. So that's 60 so, if from the Lakers' point of view, if they're taking on sixty million, they're saving the Pacers thirteen million in players that they don't really need in Buddy, and they don't really need Turner at this point because of where they are. And the Lakers are giving up a first, which is market value based on Jeremy Grant. Uh, to them, at least, that's a reasonable price. Now, from the Pacers' point of view, number one, the Lakers tampered with Paul George. Or Rob Plinka did and was fined by the NBA for. It. So there's a certain amount of history that maybe they're not looking to help the Lakers. And then number two, the Lakers are, are in a difficult situation where you've got LeBron James and Russ, and there was a very public display at summer league where they clearly didn't want to even say hi to each other. Uh, and the Lakers have all this pressure to be something special. And and there's some doubt that the Lakers are that um, around the league, very few people view them as a, as a contender. And so from the Pacers' point of view, if you can leverage the Lakers' pressure to improve and to make a change, you're going to want to try to get a second. And I, I believe that's where the the Pacers are at. Like we're not moving Turner, we're not rushing to move Turner. If you want to overpay and give us uh, two firsts, I they obviously wouldn't say overpay, but if you want to give us two firsts, we'll do it. But outside of that, we're going to hold. And from the Lakers' point of view, I think it's like fine. We'll wait we're not doing more than a first at some point you're either going to get stuck with buddy on your books because he has basically marginal to negative value based on his price and what he, his production and Turner's contract is going to, once you get past the deadline, the best you can do is maybe get a sign and trade, but you have no control over a sign and trade because he's going to go wherever he wants. And a lot of teams have cap room and he'll be one of the top free agents arguably, uh, or at least certainly top 10. Uh, so from Lakers' point of view, just wait. And now the Pacers, in, in, in a, from a point of view, lose the leverage the closer it gets to the deadline. And if they don't get an offer for one first, let alone two, now maybe the Lakers' offer reduces. So, I I, I think it's a game of chicken on some level. I think the Pacers are counting on the leverage that LeBron is going to push for something to happen, and that the Lakers have to make a move. And the Lakers keep putting out there. They had Darvin Ham, and and. Patrick Beverly and Russell Westbrook all at a press conference the other day looking as happy as can be. And I think that's a position, it may have some truth in it. And certainly from a Darwin Hand perspective, if you don't know, you're the coach. You're, you're going to sell on the players that you have. You're not going to uh, do anything but that because you don't control that. And if, you're, if you've got to coach Russ, you're going to coach Russ. You want to start coaching him now. But I think there's sort of a, a war a war of waiting between the two. And uh, if the Pacers can leverage the Lakers into a deal with someone else, even better. So I think that's kind of my overarching take on the, the Miles Turner market.
1: All right. And we will be right back. I'm actually we want to discuss what a Tyrese Halliburton extension could look like. We'll be right back.
3: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in.
1: All right, we're back. And I thought we would discuss, Eric, But as we wrap up over here, Tyrese Halliburton, someone that we talked about, the Pacers view him as their star moving forward. You know, we've read recently an article. They view him as their next Reggie Miller-type franchise player. Obviously, you can't just say anyone can be Reggie Miller, but that franchise-like player. So Halliburton entering year three, part of the 2020 NBA draft class. Um, He'll be paid $4.2 million this upcoming season. After the season, he has a 5.8 million dollar team option. It'd be a no brainer to pick that up unless the Pacers want to start discussing an extension. When would it be the earliest that Halliburton can discuss a rookie extension, and what could it potentially look like?
2: Well, uh, because he's a first round pick, there's what's called the rookie scale, which is a, a set uh, contract uh, based on really a table that the a scale table that the league issues every every year so his option at 5.8 million if they decline it then the most that they can pay him is 5.8 and they can't extend them and it's it's a, it, 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 they would never not pick up that option uh in, unless you don't value the player for instance uh the the Suns didn't value Jalen smith for some reason and made the move they did that was relatively perplexing uh and it's just not it, he, they're going to pick up the option they have to do it uh before halloween basically or the deadline is halloween uh, so in the next few weeks or so they'll they'll pick that up then they can't really discuss i mean it depends on if we're going by the letter of the law or what actually happens <laughs> they'll yeah. start discussing yeah. at some point uh probably earlier than they're supposed to uh what an extension would look like and if he's their franchise player certainly the agent it's their job to try to get the max uh and it's it's up to the player and up to the team and can they get there uh, and then there's the question of of what kind of max. So uh, I'll go back to saying that we don't know the new rules. Potentially a new CBA, but if we assume the same rules, the max for um, Halliburton it would start like his next deal. So an extension would happen next off season. It would basically happen. Uh, they could dis- they could sign it as of July 6th, uh, 2023 all the way up to before the start of the season uh call it I don't know the exact date but call it October 15th 2023 so that's the window to sign it roughly and the the money would actually start on uh at the start of the 24-25 season so that's where that's the salary cap that matters so uh next year the league is projecting already a cap of 133 million we we don't really know what that will come in at, or maybe that's low, maybe that's high. And then if you project another 5% increase, we're looking at a cap of about 140 million. Uh, again, this is there's no way to know that yet, uh, but this is what teams work with at this point. Some teams may project higher or lower, but this is kind of the standard projection. And his max would be right around $35 million starting. So it would be uh, either a four, additional four years Or if they made him designated, it would be an additional five years. If he's designated, uh, they could give him what some people refer to as a supermax. It's not exactly right terminology. But the idea would be if he is named MVP of the league or Defensive player of the year or to one of the NBA uh, first, second, or third, all all NBA teams, he'd be able to get uh, an even higher salary. So we've seen that with – I know Ben Simmons got the higher salary – uh, some players have and some haven't. And like Donovan Mitchell, I don't think qualified. I don't think, yeah, Jason Tatum, I don't think qualified. Uh, but a lot of players will get that. Uh, Luca did qualify, so he's getting uh, that 30% max instead of 25% max. So the upper tier, if if Tyrese did all the things that he needed to do, he could get up to roughly uh, $42 million starting. So it's a it's big jump. Because again, it's it's a five year deal, so or five additional years, you, you are starting at seven million higher, and then you're getting raises every year off of that. You can imagine it's it's a much more lucrative deal. Uh But I think you know the Pacers. Who knows? You would probably project at this point, he would get anywhere from twenty five to thirty five million. And if he's really their franchise player, and if he earns that kind of title, then it's going to be closer to the to the max than it would be. Uh, that 25 but i think that's you know rj barrett is i guess i don't know if it's a comp but if we look at what rj just got um he has some incentives but he's gonna make in the first year of his extension he's making 24 uh the last year of his extension he's making 30 and he got a four-year deal he didn't get that designated tad so uh that's kind of the range of you know his average we'll call it in the neighborhood of 26, and I'm not looking, I didn't do the exact math, but let's say he's getting 26 a year. Uh, we'll have to wait and see what that what that translates to uh, when, when the time comes. But it's not for another year, so they have some time before they can actually get down and dirty and start negotiating with Halliburton.
1: I think the Pacers are at a point now where we saw them extend that record-breaking offer sheet to DeAndre into the point where they're looking to cut the check finally after years and years of, you know, never going over the tax or never really spending too much, you know, signing guys right around that $18 million mark. I think that Halliburton is the guy that they will cut the check for, and I think that when the timing is right, I I think that, you know, it's going to be a a great deal for both parties. I do see him as a a fringe all-star going into this year. Pacers won't have the wins to really uh, have him plead his case. But we have seen all-stars on on teams that weren't performing as well. Um, so it's going to be a very exciting time. I, I think they need to be able to hang their hat on a new franchise player, and he seems to be that guy. So, Eric, as we wrap up, I want to thank you very much for coming on. I think that you educated our listeners big time as it relates to the ins and outs of the salary cap, which is something that could be confusing for
2: many people. But tell everybody where they could find you on social media. Of course, I'm at Eric Pincus, E R I C P I N C U S on Twitter. Uh, I'm pretty uh, responsive, providing it's not like a big news day where I'm getting like a thousand replies. Uh, I do tutor uh, for those who are looking to learn the salary cap and get maybe make a try to get a job in that sort of field, uh, whether it's as an agent or someone working for a team. Uh, and I also work for Sports Business Classroom. Uh, you can find them on Twitter at SportsBizBiz. B-I-Z. Uh, class let me double make sure i got that right and uh uh, we have a great program there if if you're if you're looking to get into the business of basketball it is um an absolute tremendous program and we we have a a great track record of, of helping people get jobs in the nba other than that um looking forward to the season you can find my work on bleacher report and i appreciate you having me on
1: Absolutely. Everybody check him out. Sounds like he's got some amazing stuff going on. So, Eric, thank you very much. And that is another episode of Setting the Pace. We'll be right back. That was some great insight from Eric. Eric, I definitely appreciate you coming on the show. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. And remember, check us out on social media. You could find us at SettingThePace3 on Twitter. You could find Alex on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore facci. You could find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You could find us on Facebook at Setting the Pace. You could find us on TikTok at Setting the Pace. And here's where I kick it over to Alex, but I'm just going to have to do it myself. You can check us out on YouTube at youtube.com/slash Setting the Pace, a Pacers podcast. Yes, it's a mouthful. Or you could type in YouTube Setting the Pace. Either one is youtube.com slash setting the pace, a Pacers podcast. And if you like what you saw, give us a thumbs up on YouTube. Give us a five-star review on iTunes or Spotify because no one appreciates our listeners more than Alex and I. I mean, I'm telling you, you guys make the show. I love hearing feedback from you. Even if the episode wasn't what you wanted, I want to hear about it so we can make it better. If it was what you liked, let us know so we can keep the good times rolling. But I appreciate you guys, and at the end of the day, I'm gonna hit you with three words that I need you to remember. Let's go, Pacers.
2: Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast. Sweeping every team, we gon' need a mop. Smooth. Mm -hmm.